the American League Championship. I don't believe it. It just continues. My oh. High fly ball into right field. She is gone. Oh, drives one. I fall asleep and wake up to a podcast recorded without me. Shame on you, Casey Bellin. Shame on you, Joe Doyle. I couldn't believe it. I felt left out all week. But here we are, the FSS Plus podcast. Jason Churchill, Joe Doyle, Casey Bellin. Uh, I listened to that show, guys. It was good. Um, and, and and yes, I was just being lazy. You, you were right the first time, Joe. I was just mm-hmm. being lazy. I was out. I, I went to a football game. Uh in Palo Alto, California, of all places. Uh, it was a terrible game. Um, uh, the team favored by 27 uh, let the game, you know, kind of get away from them a little bit, and it was a lot closer than it should have been, so it was frustrating. But, uh, but yeah, I was just, just – you had it right the first time. I was just essentially being lazy. So really good instincts. I'm not sure if I told you guys that's what I was doing, but that's some good instincts there, Joe. You know, Who granted you lazy. PTO? Yeah, so here's the way I do. This is a fun conversation for a podcast that the boss can actually listen to anytime he feels like. Here's the way PTO works at Future Star Series. Um, there's no such thing. So what you have to do is work that day. You travel, you work. You work, you travel, you travel, you work. You go do fun stuff, you work. And then it doesn't help to text the boss every once in a while. Um just to touch base so he knows you're thinking about him. <laughs> that usually works pretty well. Uh, lots to get to uh, today. Uh, the Texas Rangers obviously win the World Series in five games over the uh, Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, I think before the show, just as I, I kicked in here to the, uh, to the recording, uh, I believe, Casey, I heard you mention it got the World Series got to a point where you were just like, Let's just get this over with. Let's get to the off season, right? Did it really take that long? By the way, did it take that long, or were you? Because I was already there. I mean, once I think once the LCS this came out, I was like, ah, all right, there's going to be days without baseball at all, and these games are not going to start at convenient times for me. I have too much else going on. Where I was just like, can we just fast forward to the hot stove? Did it really take to like game four or five for you to feel that way, Case? Yeah, it was like game three. Because that's when I started feeling like it wasn't a competitive series. I thought there was a lot of competitive series throughout the playoffs. So it kept me interested. And then game three of the World Series, I was like, yeah, I think this is pretty much over. It's pretty much done. Maybe that's what it was. I was trying to figure out why people couldn't get into this series. I mean, I watched every game, but even I was sitting there thinking, I would be okay if this went five games. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I don't know, Corey, Corey Seager's compelling. Corbin Carroll's compelling there's a yeah, Cinderella. I, I think the thing though like when we look at things like ratings which is a terrible way to judge how good an actual world series was or wasn't but not that you guys were doing that but when you look at ratings like think about the the people that are contributing to those ratings they're basic general households they're not necessarily sports fans so to pull those people in what do you need you need stars and you need big markets now texas is in a big market they're in dallas Arizona, they're in Phoenix. But what about the Arizona Diamondbacks 
is going to grab the casual fan. Like we know Corbin Carroll is really good. We know Merrill Kelly and, and Zach Gallon are really good. I don't, most of the country, even baseball fans don't, aren't really enthralled with any of those players. Corey Seager, Marcus Simeon, maybe Adelise Garcia now. Sure. But Arizona, I can understand them not drawing. Um, they got to, it, it, we'll talk about the Diamondbacks. That's one of the things we're going to get to today. The Diamondbacks and the, uh, and the Phillies, uh, just like everybody else have a, uh, a list of things that they probably need to, to get to, uh, over the off season to, uh, I don't know, for lack of a better way to say it, improve their shot next year. How, how did the how did the Diamondbacks take the next step? What do the Phillies do? What are they missing? Uh, we'll have that conversation uh, a little bit later. And free agency. So now that the World Series is over, early next week, so there's this five-day, this ridiculous, stupid, meaningless, I think, five-day grace period um, before free agents can actually sign with other clubs. So I think it, it starts, I think it's Monday. Is it Monday, Joe? Where yep. they can, I think it's Monday where they can start signing. It's Monday. So I expect Shohei Otani to sign with the Kansas City Royals on Tuesday. I think he's going to make people wait 24 hours and he's going to sign with the Royals. Um, obviously, that's not happening. Um, lots of other stuff going on this one, too. If you're a, uh, if you dig into the, to the offseason, uh, one of the things you should do if you don't already, Google MLB important off-season dates and you'll get somebody to list you and give you all the deadlines for the qualifying offer um uh, the deadline for players to accept or decline the qualifying offer the arbitration tender deadline things like that those are really important things to know and i believe joe our favorite uh setting up our favorite off-season activity our favorite off-season event the rule five draft I believe the 14th is when 40-man rosters have to be set. So we're going to get some, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to get some activity. You know, like we've seen, like I forgot about this, but, you know, last year we had, uh, when talking about qualifying offers, the Cubs didn't, or excuse me, the Dodgers did not tender Cody Bellinger, the qualifying offer last year. Correct. You know, they they they, they let him roll. Um, so, and he was and he was struggling. So uh, really interesting situation. There, there was another big one. Um, that got uh, that got let go too. I can't remember who it was, but uh, uh, I, I imagine the Cubs are going to do that this year, uh, awaiting uh, Bellinger uh, opting out of his contract, essentially declining his uh, half of the mutual option and hitting. But I imagine the Cubs uh, are going to tender him there. So we're going to get some activity here, and we're going to get some uh, some option decisions coming up. We're going to get some player options. Marcus Stroman, I think, is a big one, Joe. What is oh, it? Twenty one million dollars for for Stroman? Like, I mean, he could take that or he could, you know, opt out of it and probably get two or three years and, you know, maybe 15 plus million dollars. I tend to think he's going to opt out of that. So we're going to get some uh, some some activity for sure uh, on the free agent front and teams can make trades now. They don't have to wait till Monday to make trades. And and if you live in in a smaller market area, um, one thing you should look for right now, if you're, you're Kansas City, you're Pittsburgh, you're Cincinnati. Uh, even Seattle, because they like to operate like a small market team for some reason. You can make waiver claims. That's going to be your fun for for the next four or five days until free agency starts. And for some of those teams, that's going to be your fun for the entire offseason. So uh, disappointed in the World Series. Uh, I, I think I think getting six and seven game series is meaningful, even if the ratings aren't great. I just think every opportunity baseball has 
to be front and center in the sports world on a Tuesday or a Thursday or a Friday or something like that um, is good for the game. Even if the ratings are down, even if it's, you know, uh, they're, they're not losing fans. That's just viewership of the world series. And uh, I just think, yeah, you know, Monday night, Saturday, Sunday, maybe not with, with football going on, but uh, every other day of the week, it's, is a little bit of a missed opportunity. So I was disappointed in that. Uh, how did you, Joe, how did you view the postseason as a whole before we dive into the diamondbacks and, and, and the, uh, and the Phillies and free agency a little bit more, was it a, I did, I wasn't all that compelled by, by this postseason as a whole. I, there were, there were a lot of series where there was domination. I think it would have been actually better had the Dodgers gone a little further. Not that it wasn't fun that the diamondbacks were the team to, to oust uh, the team at the top. But I, I just, I thought it was a very average at best postseason overall for Major League Baseball. Yeah, I'd say in in terms of like captivation, it was probably below average. And I'm not really sure. Maybe it was Major League Baseball has a has has an issue right now in terms of identifying and marketing like big time pitchers. And maybe that's the you know one of the issues with you know these five and dive metas and, and openers and things like that. Like, I mean. I'd say one of the biggest storylines from this from this postseason was Clayton Kershaw's one inning outing or or one out outing where he gave up like six or seven runs like, you know, Max Scherzer didn't throw Jacob deGrom has been out all year. Justin Verlander was largely vanilla uh, this postseason. Clayton Kershaw was was bad. And now he's now he's hurt more hurt, I should say. Yeah, I think see, I think I think Major League Baseball has a marketing issue right now with some of its biggest stars. And, and when you don't. Like I think I think they were really leaning hard on on Bryce Harper carrying the league through the postseason because mm. you know, Judge wasn't there and you know Rafi Devers wasn't there and um, you know not even even Pete Alonso wasn't there so seems like there's and a I bit think of an the markets right I think the markets too you know in addition to the players I think even without not question. that it, not that it happens but when you get the Mets or the Cubs or the Dodgers in it there's just it's a, it's a bigger a bigger market that's naturally just going to the ratings are going to go up just because the market that cares about that particular team is larger. Yeah. I mean, you know, even Atlanta, you know, that that's a pretty, they have a pretty large market. It's not just about the size of the city, the population of the city, but the, 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 the number of people in the Atlanta region that are Braves fans is a lot bigger than the number of people anywhere that are Diamondbacks fans. So right then and there, if the national league was represented by even the Braves, let alone the Dodgers and the Mets, the ratings go up, but, uh, but yeah, I just thought from an entertainment standpoint, um, I wasn't even compelled to watch the games live. It was, it was weird, man. It's like, they you didn't, know, lifelong base. It was, it was just very strange. Did they, I don't know if they sunk as much money into marketing. It, it, it felt mm. like it almost felt to me like there were more games on TNT this year. And it, it felt like an afterthought. And I, I think back yeah. really quickly, I think back to like 2020 or 2021 mm. when Randy Rosarena had that, unbelievable right. postseason mm -hmm. right and it's all anybody could talk about and that's tampa so how did how did tamp how did randy rosarena truly become a household name that postseason and it seemed so forced to turn adolis garcia into into this like league star i still don't feel like Ad Ad adolis garcia is is this star and he had one of the greatest postseasons in the history of the sport just mm -hmm. a strange a strange uh postseason yeah, he did. What did he hit? Eight, eight homers in that series and didn't even play the last couple of games. I, don't know, I know he, had, yeah, World I know series. he broke the record for, for postseason RBIs. I think he had 23 RBIs and he missed the last game. 
Yeah, that's so, crazy. Crazy. Yeah, he hits, uh, hit 323 uh, with eight homers, 22 RBI. Uh, that's a big postseason. Um, crazy. Uh, I I, uh, I read another thing the other day that was crazy. We don't have to talk about it. I just want to throw it out there. Maybe some fans are unaware. Um, Marcus Semyon. I think you guys know what I'm getting at. Marcus Semyon had more plate appearances this year than I think anyone has had in like a very, very long time. I can't remember what the exact uh, uh, statistic is, but including the postseason, he had 835 plate appearances. And I think that's only happened one other time ever. Uh, It's weird. I think maybe it might be more strange or stranger to think that, wait, somebody a long time ago had 830-some plate appearances in a game, including the postseason. There weren't wild card series. There weren't LDS series, you know, 80 years ago. It was just you play your 154-game season, and then you roll into the World Series. That that was the way that worked back then. We didn't even have LCS uh, uh, back then for players to do that. But uh, uh, a really strong season from uh, from Marcus Simeon. And, uh, you know, you stay on the field. You play 162 games. You get over 750 plate appearances in the in the regular season. Your team goes to the World Series. But even though the, the, the series only went five, 835 plate appearances. We're used to talking about, ah, you know, you get this player, you give him 500 at-bats. That's not even really, that's like 130 games, 140 games worth. And Simeon had 835. I just, I just thought was, that was uh Who was the most before? Oh, of course, man. He's just, he's right K- on it. Lenny Dykes. Casey Dyke. Bell and right on it. Lenny Dykes. Yeah. Casey. I was going to say, I had two guesses. I was going to say Joe Morgan because of the big mm-hmm. red machine. Sure. Um, And then I was going to say, uh, oh God, who's the name of that second baseman for the, for the Yankees during their dynasty that, I mean, I guess Bernie Williams would have been a good guess, but um, Alfonso Soriano was going to be my other guess. Oh, sure, bat and lead off a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. Lenny Dykstra, good pull. It's it's crazy. Um, yeah, and I think regular season plate appearance wise, I, I think there was a Jimmy Rollins season, mm. uh, maybe fifteen years ago. That's the regular season record, and it was like seven hundred and seventy five or something like that. Um, it, it's crazy. And then Simeon wasn't even close to that, you know, this year he's 25 away from, from that. But yeah, it's, um, it, it's very strange. Yeah. K- Casey rolling out the numbers here. Pete Rose had 811 in, in 1975. Oh, I was on to the right. I was on to it, man. Yeah. So we go like 50 years ago and it, it's remarkable because again, that we didn't have all these extra series, you know? So, so yeah, but you get a, you get a leadoff type guy, you know, Simeon leadoff guy, Dykstra leadoff guy, Pete Rose, uh, lead off guy Jimmy Rollins let off a lot, so certainly uh, certainly makes uh, tons of uh, tons of. Say- Is there a power hit? I'm looking at the regular season list right now. Uh, you don't really get down to a, to a true power hitter in terms of most plate appearances in a season until Mo Vaughn in 1996. <laughs> yes. Mo Vaughn, I love uh, Mo Vaughn. 752 plate appearances in 1996. Uh, absolutely crazy. So. All right, so the the Diamondbacks fall a little short. Um, when you look at that team, uh, Joe Doyle, I don't think it screams World Series caliber to anyone. And and I think if you even ask the leaders of that organization, yeah, we understand that you know this isn't necessarily your typical typical uh, World Series roster. Just you know, on the surface, at least. You know, sometimes you can look and go, okay, you got a star there, you got a couple of all stars here. Uh, there's a good balance, a good mix. You have some depth. That's not what that Diamondbacks roster looks like. Um, when you look at that roster, 
what are some things that stick out? So if you're you're running the Diamondbacks, what are your priorities this winter in terms of adding to the roster specifically? I think you got to start with the pitching staff, right? I mean, Zach Gallen is a very talented player, but um, he struggled in the postseason and they still ended up where they were. Merrill Kelly is going to be 36 next year. That that blew my mind when I saw his age, kind of watching him start. Yeah, has he really been around that long? I get no yeah. is the thing. He debuted at 29. Mm. I, I mean, that would do it. That's nuts. Yeah, but I mean, they've got some, you know, Brandon Fott, I think, is going to be a, a pretty solid mid-rotation guy in time. Mm. Beyond that, like, Arizona doesn't have the pitching staff to repeat what they did this year, next year, in my opinion, especially playing in the NL West with Dodgers. Giants aren't going to be a pushover. And, you know, it's hard to say the Padres are going to be worse than what they were this past year. So but I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> they might be. Um, but no, that offense should continue to get better. Like Gabriel Moreno, I was actually pretty critical of that trade when it went through. Uh, mm -hmm. Gabriel Moreno looks like he's going to be a, a stud, like one of the top 10 catchers in baseball going yeah. forward, and they control him forever. Um, Jordan Lawler got a cup of tea. Ketel Marte is coming back. You know, Corbin Carroll, of course. Cor I, I love the tandem of Corbin Carroll, Jake McCarthy, and Alec Thomas in the outfield. That's so mm -hmm. much speed. Yeah. Um, but I think the thing, you know, the thing with Arizona is going to be they're going to have to decide what direction they want to go with this payroll because. I believe there's only one more year of Christian Walker. Yep. And that's kind of a big decision to make. If you want to pay mm -hmm. that guy, I don't know what he's owed, like thir 12, 13 mil. That's and he's not that young. He's north of 30 already. So ex yeah, exactly. What what do you exactly want to do with your payroll in terms of, uh, uh, you know, veteran players that are making the big arbitration dollars and free agent dollars versus what you have in the farm system, which was going to be my next question to you, Joe. Um, what do the Diamondbacks have uh, on the farm system that realistically could help them with some level of impact in 2023 beyond, I'll say, Jordan Lawler? Um, obviously, he made his debut this year. You would think to some extent there could be some expectation that he'd be able to help them next year. What else do they have down on the farm? Oh, you hot. mentioned pitching. Is there is there any pitching that's anywhere near the major leagues for them? No. I mean, Slade Chaconi. Slade Chaconi got some time this year. I, he might have gotten hurt. I'm trying to remember how his season actually ended, but uh, they don't have a whole lot in terms of, of reinforcements that's on the way. They got some guys down the list like Gilbert Diaz who who might get some time next season, and I think Blake Walston will probably have to take on an added role. But he's largely kind of struggled throughout his minor league career as as a former first round pick. Um, I, they're going to have to either make a trade for some pitching or they're going to have to, you know, open their pocketbooks and the diamondbacks have never been an organization that have really expanded the wallet too much. So I think right. they could be, mm. you know, despite this is the craziest thing. It's kind of like the 2003 Florida Marlins, like despite going to the world series, it wouldn't totally stun me if the diamondbacks moved a, a few pieces off of their big league roster to try and save themselves pitching going forward. Right. So you mentioned Christian Walker. That might be a guy they move because he's got one year left. Um, and then they go out on the market and maybe sign a guy that's uh, as good or better for maybe even a little cheaper or at least to be able to control that guy and plan around him uh, a little bit more. Uh, where are you with uh, with a guy like uh, Cattell Marte? Um, he's had some injuries in the past when he's been healthy. 
for 140 plus games, he's a pretty good player and can certainly handle second base, can run, switch hitters, got a little bit of pop. Like that's a good player. Uh, if you're the Diamondbacks with uh, with a guy like Marte, do you see what that looks like uh, on the trade market and see if you can, because there's not a lot of second baseman shortstop this year. That was last winter where the middle infielders were a big thing uh, with those big four. This year, it's a little bit different. Do you just at least see what you can get for uh, for Cattell Marte, maybe shop him around a little bit? I think you have to at least listen. They're going to have to replace Lourdes Gurriel Jr. too. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, this offense was really good this year, but the heavy lifting was done by Corbin Carroll, who's coming back, mm-hmm. Kristen Walker, and and um, Cattell Marte. And I think you're already down Gurriel. You would imagine you're down Gurriel. I'm sure he's going to command something of a 16 $17 million contract for four years from someone, right? Uh, so you're going to have to replace that offense. If you get rid of Cattell Marte too, all of a sudden you're kind of searching for answers uh, at the plate and searching for how you're going to score those runs. I will say Christian Walker would probably be the one that I would think would be moved just because he's expensive and it's only one year left. And his his baseball card was really carried by the home runs. He wasn't a, mm-hmm. a terribly efficient player. They do have Ivan Melendez, who could be available here towards the end of 2024. He's a really interesting player who's got a lot of similarities with Christian Walker. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the one that I kind of think of as an option for them that I would consider is, so you have Corbin Carroll, you have Jake McCarthy, you have Alec Thomas. You've got a great athletic outfield for the foreseeable future Mm -hmm. Uh, it's been a tough go of it for drew jones both in terms of durability and in terms of swing mechanics he he's there's a lot of work to do but he's he's a ways away he's a ways away um he's got a lot of prospect pedigree and i think the idea of moving him for a pitcher or moving him Mm. for something that plays on the dirt uh, would probably interest some teams that wish they could have been up at the top of the first round there in 2022 Right. Uh, Cattell Marte, by the way, owed uh, $16 million uh, a year in 2025 and 2026. So if you add that to the 13 he's going to make in 2024 and the 14 he's going to make in 2027, it's four years. And I believe that's $59 million uh, plus a $3 million buyout for 2028. He will be 30. He that this this season was his age twenty nine season. I think he turns. Uh, he just turned thirty, so he just turned thirty uh, during the postseason. So uh, next year will be his age. So if you're going to move Marte, the sooner the better, I would imagine. But uh, with his injury history, that might also be tough. And you're right; he's kind of an igniter for them. Uh, he's kind of uh, at the top of that second tier of of offensive uh, producers in a lineup that every team needs. Uh, and if you do trade Walker, what does the rest of that lineup look like? So from a pitching standpoint, if they're not going to spend money, like this is a, it, it's, this is almost a side combo here, but the, the Diamondbacks are allowing me to bring it up. There are, there's some names on the, on the free agent market. I think when you, it, it's not a good free agent class in general, but there's some pretty interesting, uh, starting pitchers uh, on the market. And even when you get below, uh, those top guys, you know, the, the Aaron Nolas and the, uh, uh, and Blake Snell and Jordan Montgomery and Sonny Gray and and I think some are assuming that Eduardo Rodriguez opts out in uh, in Detroit, which he should uh, to get uh, to get more money. Shohei Otani obviously at the top won't pitch in 2024, but he can be considered the 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 Japanese the two Japanese guys uh, Yamamoto and Imanaga uh, also offering you know depth somewhere near the top and, and certainly in the middle of the rotation. But there's a lot of guys below. 
uh, those top guys that you can kind of rely on to some level. Uh, you look around, you get Lucas Giolito is really interesting. Like mm -hmm. I, it's really difficult to look at him and say, well, he probably like he could decide to just take a one year deal and then go back out on the market at 30 years old because he thinks he could do better next year because it's a little bit of a flooded market. But otherwise, I could see somebody like Lucas Giolito getting five years this year at 15 to 20 million, maybe getting a, uh, you know, a Taiwan Walker, uh, Jamison uh, Tyone type deal or even a little bit better. Uh, you can go down to uh, like Jack Flaherty's interest has had some injury issues, but Jack Flaherty, Michael Waka has a has an option that needs to be dealt with with the uh, the San Diego Padres. We talked about Kyle Hendricks, um, uh, the team. What is it? A sixteen million dollar option for Hendricks? We know what his history is like. Has been great lately. Had a little bit of an injury. Uh, Seth Lugo has made a pretty decent transition to full time starter at thirty three years old. Uh, so mm -hmm. he's really interesting. Uh, I actually think one of the more underrated guys on the free agent market right now is Sean Manaya. Like I know he pitched in relief to some extent. Some of that was, um, you know, to help him stay healthy, and some of that was because he wasn't performing all that great. But overall, he has just as good a three-year, uh, uh, you know, resume as some of these other second-tier starters that we're talking about. Um, it, it's a pretty good, you know. And then, then we could throw in guys like Kyle Gibson, and and uh, another interesting one with some upside, even though it comes with some risk, is Luis Severino. Um, and then we throw in the Andrew Haney's and, and Alex Woods and, and Ryu and, and James Paxton, guys that have been hurt, uh, guys whose performance has kind of been all over the map. But there are a lot of opportunities for a team like the Diamondbacks to say, hey, let's identify a guy that we really like, turn him into something better than he's ever been, or let's get the best out. And we know who the pitching coach is in Arizona and what he's been teaching that organization. And, and that's Brent Strom. I mean, you look at what the yeah. Astros have done the last several years. Brent Strom is as big a part of that as pretty much just about anybody. Uh, really interesting pitching opportunity, I think, this winter for a team like the Diamondbacks, Joe. Yeah, I'm with you. And there were, I mean, you could go even further down the list. This is actually a really good year for free agent pitching. Carlos Carrasco, I think, is kind of an underrated name. He kind of got buried a little bit. In New York, he was hurt for a lot of the year, but I think he would be a really interesting guy just in terms of the ability to innately spin the ball and throw the slider. Like that's a guy that I think Brent Strom could really kind of pull the most out of. And, you know, Michael Lorenzen out of Philly kind of turned mm -hmm. his entire, it seemed like turned his entire career around this season and especially on the second half. He's another guy that I think would make a lot of sense for them. So Ross uh, Stripling know, with, is another one that comes to mind Ross, for Arizona. Ross Stripling. I mean, I've I've liked Jacob Junis for a long time. I know mm -hmm. that he can really spin the baseball, and he's really struggled where he's been, San Francisco and Kansas City, but he's got some pieces, right? Um, so I, I think with Arizona, I, I do wonder how gun-shy they're going to be after dropping so much money on Madison Bungarner for it not mm -hmm. to work out. Um I think they're probably going to be more in the three-year deal type of ranges. The James Paxton's, the mm -hmm. you know, maybe the, the Seth Lugos get Martin Perez. Like those guys probably sure. are all over the three-year market. Uh, but this is if there was ever a year to supplement your rotation with um, a ton of different creative ways, this is the year to do it. The, the biggest thing with Arizona is going to be how do they replace Guriel and. Um, you know, do they want to kind of do a pros another prospect for prospect trade, a, a Drew Jones for a pitcher or, or something mm -hmm. like that, just to give themselves something coming because there's really not a lot on the way in terms of pitching.
They did really well on that Dalton Varsho deal. Varsho did not have a good really year. Well. And I'm not I'm not just assuming that he's done having good years, but you know, they get Moreno, they get uh Guriel uh for a year. It really worked out for them. That was that ended up being a really uh really good looking deal for uh for the Diamondbacks. Um Martin Perez, you mentioned Martin Perez. He's really interesting. Now he lost his rotation spot in uh in Texas. But Martin Perez is one of those guys like Merrill Kelly, Kelly a little bit, like, but just in the opposite way. It feels like Martin Perez has been around for 25 years. He's only 32 years. He'd be 33 in April. And while he was up and down, you know, you know, mostly down for the most part and got hit a little bit in 2023. And over the course of his career, he's been decidedly mediocre. But I, I always will look back to that 2022 season when he was one of the better left-handers in baseball and got to almost 200 innings uh, and put up a four-win season. I imagine there are some arms out there, some some pitching coaches out there that look at arms like this and say, I can get him back to where he was in 2022, and I just wonder if Arizona's not one of those teams. So uh, really interesting. I do think, by the way, when you, when you look at Arizona, uh, it, a lot of flaws in that uh, uh, on that roster, obviously, but – and, and we talked about um, the the need for pitching to get deeper there, maybe to get a little bit more impact uh, there in the bullpen as well. It's not like that bullpen is flush with like a bunch of automatic outs. Um, but when you look at as a team offensively what they're doing um, and, and what they did this year, it wasn't exactly a juggernaut, right? Like even with Christian Walker and Cattell Marte and those guys in the line, they were very kind of, you know, what do the kids say these days? They were pretty mid you know, and, and they rank pretty much right in the middle of the the pack uh, in Major League Baseball in terms of runs scored. Um, you know, and despite that environment um, being conducive to offense, so I imagine they they at least try to go out and they look at that uh, that market and try to take a stab at like a one or a two year guy. You know, if they do something with Walker Joe, they do. Mm-hmm. There are first base options out there. Like the, you can go with a Josh Bell. You know, you get a switch hitter in there who's, you know, had a good year. He had a pretty good uh, final two months with uh, the Miami Marlins. Uh, He could be out there on the market. Uh, Reese Hoskins is a really interesting first base option um, who's basically Christian Walker, but, uh, you know, a couple of years younger that you could probably get on a one-year deal. So there are some guys out there that that could make a lot of sense for uh, for the Diamondbacks to uh, to add to that roster. But positionally, is there when you look on that field? Obviously, the outfield is set. Whatever they do at first base, Cattel Marte at second. We know Jordan Lawler is the future at shortstop, or at least you know to start his career. Who's the third baseman on this team long term? <laughs> I mean, your guess is as good as mine, man. I, I think it's probably gonna ha- gonna have to come from from the outside. I mean, De Los Santos has played third. I don't necessarily see him as a third baseman. He's pretty stiff over there. AJ Vukovic is more of a bat over a defender. Um, man, I remember Vukovic from high school. I've been doing this for a while now. Um, <laughs> you feeling old right now, Joe? A bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know, man. Like, I, There's some options at third base over there. Mm. I don't see anybody that's a surefire bet to play the position. Right. And you know, maybe they're a surprise team for a guy like Matt Chapman. It wouldn't totally surprise mm-hmm. me that they've doled out single big contracts in the past. That's kind of what I was thinking because Chapman's not a spring chicken. He does have the injury history. He wasn't great last year. He started off really well and then cooled off a little bit. Obviously can play the position really, really well. So we're not talking about like eight years and $200 million or anything. And I just wonder if he might fall into the uh, 
uh, category of affordable for a team like the Diamondbacks. Uh, really interesting potential developing situation on that infield. If they don't, like if they think Jordan Lawler is ready, Perdomo is a pretty good little player. I'm not saying he's great, but might they do what the Baltimore Orioles did some years ago and say, hey, let's just have Lawler play third base at least for a year. And yeah. then we'll we'll evaluate. Like like, it's do you think Lawler too. makes the opening day roster? Is is Lawler an opening day <sighs> roster guy next year? Lawler doesn't project terribly great for me at third base, just in terms of like. And I, I know you've talked about this before. Like teams don't need to have impact at the hot corner, but Arizona doesn't have like a ton of impact um, mm. at other places on the field. Like Corbin Carroll, yes. Uh, Jake McCarthy and Alec Thomas are not impact bats. They're really good players. You're talking, about run production. you're talking about like I'm talking about run damage production. to the baseball, hit the ball out of the park, yeah. hit in the gap, extra base hits. Yeah, yeah I mean, Perdomo's not going to give that to you. Uh, you do get that at second base with Cattell Marte, but, um, you know, Lawler's glove has always been more interesting than his bat to me. I think he's a, uh, a solid big league regular, like two and a half win, mm -hmm. two, two and a half win third baseman uh, once he gets settled in over there. But man, it feels like such a waste to put him over at third base. I, you know, maybe that's another reason to consider moving Cattell Marte is, is you can move Lawler to second base and, and use mm -hmm. his abilities up the middle and, and profile him a little bit better there. And uh, maybe you can get more of a more of a prototype third baseman to play that position over uh, over, Mar you know, for Marte. So, yeah, man, it's it's just it's a weird roster that certainly, certainly overachieved in 2023 and. I think they're going to have a difficult time. You, you remember 2020 when the Miami oh, Marlins no, went to I the playoffs? Remember 20, I don't remember 2020 <laughs> I, at all. I try to forget it too. But do you remember how the Miami Marlins went like, I don't even, it was like 33 and 27 or something. Mm. Like surprised the hell out of everyone. Not a good team. I don't think Arizona is going to see that big of a drop back in 2024, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if this team went 76 and 86. Would it surprise you? Not at all. No, I was actually just going to ask you: do, do you do you kind of look at them as a team that's clearly on on the the ascent? And and I don't necessarily think it's that clear. I think they're going to have to do some things to assure that, especially in that division where you know Colorado is Colorado, but the Dodgers are the Dodgers, the Padres are the Padres. As mediocre as they are, it's still a team that has the potential to win. 79 games. No, I'm kidding. You know, like that team talent wise is a 90 plus win team. So, and, and the giants seem like a team that just refuses to rebuild. And I expect them to be very active in free agency. So that division is tough. And now with the more balanced schedule, even when you're in a weak division, you can't take advantage of it like you used to. So Arizona's kind of, yeah, I could see them taking a step back, not only in the win column, but that probably leaves them out of the postseason too. So they're going to have to do some things and we're gonna have to see some guys, um, Rise. I'll, I, I, I I'll add one other thing, backs. just because I think it's important. Important reference here. Uh, let's let's look at the run differential really quick, just so I have it Ooh, up. So my, my my favorite thing. <laughs> well, I mean it's it's worth something, right? It does kind of median out over 162 games. They had a negative 15 run differential, and hmm. their Pythagorean is 80 and 82. Um, so so I you know just based on history, that's they were probably more of a 500 team. Then they were in 84 and what was 84 and 78? Is mm -hmm. that how they got in? Yep. Um, so, yeah, man, like they're going to have a really interesting offseason, but it wouldn't surprise me if they, I'm not going to use the term blow it up, but it wouldn't surprise me if they kind of, you know, shook the tree a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. 
the Phillies, the Philadelphia Phillies, who uh, I think they were the heavy favorite in that series uh, in the LCS. And I think this is a little bit of a cleaner conversation because we look at that Phillies roster and you go, what do they got to do to get back? Probably not a lot necessarily, but I expect them to be quite different next year. Um, Reese Hoskins is a free agent. Um, they probably Aaron could Nola. use they probably could use another bat. Aaron Nola is the big one. Uh, it sounds like they're going to try to bring him back, but how much do they want to spend on a 30 plus year old, uh, uh, pitcher? They do have some guys down on the farm that are within a year or two of the big leagues, but there's some injuries also going on with, uh, with a few of those guys. So who knows what their ETA is? I expect Philly to add a starter to that rotation, a mid rotation or better starter, And I Definitely. expect them to fill, uh, one of their open spots in their lineup with an every, a clear everyday player. So, uh, uh, when you look at that rot, like who fits, like who stands out to you when you think about the free agents out there and what the Philly, the first guy I think of, I got to be honest with you, is Eduardo Rodriguez. You had a lefty there, Eduardo, if he opts out, uh, he's a guy that wants to stay on the East Coast. Uh, he has some experience in bigger markets. He played in Boston. He's played in Detroit now. Uh, that's one guy that stands out. But I think any of those big name pitchers, including Snell, Jordan Montgomery, Sonny Gray, Aaron Nola, and the Japanese pitcher, which we probably should talk about here in a little bit. Uh, I think they all could fit in Philadelphia, and I think that's probably their priority at this point. Yeah, the guy that stands out for me is Jordan Montgomery, and and I I kind of think the same way as you. Like you look at that team: Zach Wheeler, Aaron Nola, Taiwan Walker, um, Strom. Uh, they've they've got a lot of righties, right? And they, the yeah. only thing they really have coming: Andrew Painter, Mick Abel. They've got some really high profile righties coming. I think you could really balance that that rotation with a Jordan Montgomery or an Eduardo Rodriguez or um, yeah, there's a lot of quality lefties. Blake Snell is out there. He's going to command a pretty penny. Hell, I, I don't trust the Phillies to get the most out of Andrew Haney, but Andrew Haney and Martin Perez both work as potential number fours in that rotation. So the Phillies are always kind of tough. And, and the thing that I like talking about the Phillies is Dave Dombrowski. Nothing's out the window. Yeah. He'll pay anyone. The modern, the, the modern day Pat Gillick. He's just he's a hired gun. The, come in, finish it off. Win that's World right. That's it. That's yeah. right. He's just a spin man. Um, so I, I think you could. I think they could go a number of different directions. And they're starting the off season. By the way, uh, I believe their 2024 payroll projects considerably over 200 million dollars already. Um, yeah. I think they ended this year just under 250. So they're a team that will stretch beyond the luxury tax they did it last year we'll see how aggressive they want to be in doing that this year and they've done it with big name guys zach wheeler free agent pickup bryce harper free agent pickup trey turner free agent pickup they've been pretty aggressive on that they do have some younger guys in that lineup uh that are starting to play um at the big league level but uh yeah it seems like like if you're thinking about the phillies beyond that starting staff I start thinking about short term, some of these short term, you know, offensive guys, guys that I might be able to get for for two or three years or even one year, to be honest with you. I, I think even uh, like bringing Reese Hoskins back, you know, makes some sense. I think uh, I think Matt Chapman makes some sense. And then you slide uh, uh, Baum over to first or you move Baum. Um, he doesn't really fit. He doesn't really profile that well at either corner anyway, just because he doesn't hit for a bunch of power. But I even think a, D, a pure DH like J.D. Martinez could make sense for a team like the Phillies. Um, they may want to do something different in their outfield, though. I think that's uh, uh, with Harper in the arm. Don't really know what they're thinking there um, in center field with Marsh. I know they got a young guy that can play uh, that can play out there as well. 
they might want to go out and get one of the better corner outfielders on the market, whoever you think that is. Let's just elephant in the room. Are the Phillies a team that you think Shohei Otani fits no. in, in both directions? Like, if it's Philly, no sure, the player fits. But if you're Shohei, you just think Philly's just – it does seem like the opposite of what he'd be looking for. Well, not only that, I, I mean, we, I think we have to kind of look a little realistically. You've got 28 million and it's only going to climb for Trey Turner. You got 26 million for Harper. You got 25 million for Riamuto. You got 25 million for Zach Wheeler. You got 20, 20 million, 20 million, 18. I mean, they've got so much money. Hell, they're still paying Scott Kingery 13 million, <laughs> which is, which is um, amazingly, shameful, it's amazing. But, um, no, I, I look at it like this, like the, the Phillies are at by rough estimations. This is sport track. They're already looking at $237 million uh, for the luxury tax payroll. They've never exceeded the $40 million overage that costs them 10 spots in the draft. Right. And I don't know. Pretty key level. It's a pretty key level, especially if you are someone in the front office that, you know, isn't only concerned with spending money. Um, So that's, I I believe that number is going to be $277 million. Uh, in 2024 so they have roughly 40 million dollars in room and that doesn't include you know some of the guys that we were talking about a rotation spot they have to sign another pitcher so trying to fit a 45 million dollar contract or a 55 million dollar contract for Shohei Otani in that doesn't seem like that would yeah I don't see the room that would work yeah uh the Phillies offensively like we talked about third base like um now now Alec Baum is not a bad player I'm not saying that he's a very interesting player. Actually, if you're a team out there looking to find a guy at the right time to kind of unlock the raw power, that's clearly there that he doesn't get to in games, but he does a lot of other things. He's not a good defensive third baseman, but you could stick him at first base and he could actually probably be average or better over there. And if you unlock the power, he does everything else. He makes contact. He controls the zone. Like he's a really interesting guy, but if the Phillies were looking to upgrade over there um, at third base, there are a few options, and it obviously starts with Matt Chapman. But you look out on the uh, the trade market, you might be able to find some teams. Now, this is going to sound really odd, but the San Diego Padres are probably going to shop Juan Soto because the $33 million and because the extension issue and because of the inefficiency in that, in that roster. But that's also a team that clearly, with the news that they actually went out and borrowed money, clearly doesn't like their cash flow situation. They have a third baseman in San Diego that could probably net them some help. I just wonder, and not necessarily that Philly fits here because it adds another $30 million deal, but I just wonder if that third base market doesn't get shaken loose beyond Matt Chapman on the free agent market this winter uh, with potentially Manny Machado. Because if the Padres are ever going to move Machado, they have to do it now. And I just not that I'm predicting that it happens. I just think if a team wants to fix their third base spot and they're and they're willing to spend $30 million a year on it, that's the first call I would make. He's reliable. He's good. He still handles the position. He solves that spot for at least the next three to five years. So if there's a big market team out there willing to do it, I don't know. Again, I'm not sure how that fits in with Philly, but that could really shake up that third base because there's not a whole lot out there after Matt Chapman on the free agent market. I just think of the trade market, there could be some opportunities. I like that. Can you imagine a <laughs> can you imagine a big league outfield of Nick Castellanos, Kyle <laughs> no. Schwarber? Hold on. Nick Castellanos, <laughs> Kyle Schwarber, Juan Soto. And if 
emergency break glass reese hoskins <laughs> oh boy yeah oh and then bryce harper bryce with his harper yeah yeah is also an option yeah, yeah i think there's a lot of reasons that the phillies probably don't make sense for some of the big ticket stars but i love the idea of moving machado you know from afar and i really don't have a good pulse on the padres it always kind of felt a little bit to me like machado was the one trying to corral the kids yeah. in san diego at least that was kind of the the, the optics of everything mm. um, so i think moving him might almost be counterproductive to what they're trying to do but except they I don't just, even know who their manager is at this point you know no, that team is in they, disarray they that team is in massive disarray like if if do that team ask you a if, question do the san diego padres regret signing fernando tatis uh yeah yeah, I think so. He was an embarrassment. Um, he was out. He missed time because of suspension, missed time because of injury. Yeah, I think so. I, think I put all that behind. He's mm-hmm. a right fielder now. He's he, and, and he's good there. And he's a good player. He's good, but he's a yeah. right fielder. But yeah, yeah, I think they do. I, How many right fielders you, are making? What is he making? 36? Yeah, it's big. But here's the thing with that deal they, they signed him to. Like, they didn't even get... They didn't sign him... As they signed him as a shortstop as if they were convinced he was going to stay there for like eight years at least. Yeah. That's the weirdest part of this. What is it? 14 million, uh, 14 years and 300 and like 38 million, something like that with some, uh, with some, uh, uh, some of those seasons where the salary was actually reduced because of the PD suspension. I think I read the other day, uh, 338. That's a lot of money for a, for a kid um, who age really isn't the issue here who really seemed like a guy who wasn't going to stick it short anyway. So you got to start thinking, is this a third base thing? And then when you sign Manny Machado, you're like, okay, third base isn't it. So you're now you're down to the corner outfield spots. He made improvements at shortstop. What, Mm -hmm. what, what was weird for me was he came back this season and they were quick to put him in right field. They didn't even give him reps at shortstop. And I just think if you're looking at how old is he? 24. If you're looking at a, a, you have 12 more years. 11 more years of a 24 year old right fielder, a a position on the field that is historically the second easiest to replace production at. Sure. I just, man, like he'd be better served in center or at shortstop or maybe they move uh, Machado and they put him at third, but as things stand, that is an awful, awful contract. And I do wonder if that was just a this year thing. Like push him. It was just like let's give him extra time to get beyond the injuries, to get beyond the, and it'll allow us to 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 shuffle our roster around. Like now, don't get me wrong. Like he was, a, he's exceptionally good in right field, like exceptionally good. Like I, I, I'm not a big defensive metrics guy, especially when you look at one year defensive metrics. But in in a little under 1,200 innings in right field, the dif, the defensive run save metrics has him at plus 29. I've never yeah, seen I mean, that. I've never it's, seen that in my life. That's crazy, man. You got to go back to like Ichiro. Yeah, like I, I'm not even sure Ichiro did. I'm not sure. Maybe he did, but I'm looking at that 29. I'm thinking, geez, like. But you got to think a guy that athletic can play third base. So if the if the shoulder is okay, the arm is okay, you might think, yeah, okay, everything's fine here, and maybe he can play third base. But that means moving Manny Machado. At least moving Manny Machado somewhere. It doesn't have to be off the roster, but somewhere. Yeah, that Padres. I mean, team to is, your uh, to dangerous. your point, I think the the. If I was the Padres, and it probably isn't something they want to hear, but I would move Hassan Kim. I think you could get a lot for Hassan Kim with one year of control left. 
mm-hmm. at seven million bucks. I know it doesn't shave the payroll that you want to, but there are other ways to shave the payroll. Part of the um, reason why they want to shave the payroll is so they can make the team better. So if Kim help yeah. doesn't help the the payroll part, but helps you get better and helps you get better with cheaper players, then you can that's, essentially that's what I'm saying. That's what and I'm it's saying. one year plus a mutual option, and obviously you'd expect him to to try to get out of that so he can make bigger money. But it would yeah. give you time to try to try to extend him if you really like. And it gives you the point. ability to put Tatis back at shortstop. It does. Although I wouldn't do that. I'm done. Done there. Yeah, I'm done. There. Well, that's I, a problem. That's yeah, that's that, that, operationally that's a problem. Yeah, for that, I, for that organization. I, if he's not at least uh, an average defensive third baseman for you, that's actually playing third base, at least. Um, the contract was a mistake, but yeah. I thought it was at the time. I thought I thought they dove into that too quickly, too steeply, uh, at the time. Even at when it, what was he twenty one or whatever when he signed twenty two when he signed it. Um, yeah, and watching the yeah, Braves too much. Watch, <laughs> watching the Braves. So really quickly before we get out of here. Um, Free agency. Um, Joe, I know you've been talking to some folks about uh, about the market. It's all I've been doing since the end of September, uh, trying to get takes on the market and uh, uh, been having some fun getting uh, front offices tell me that they think uh, uh, Cody Bellinger's getting $200 million, which I don't disagree with. I think it's fun to, to hear them. Uh, speak that aggressively of the market. I think that's the biggest thing I'm hearing right now is that the market is going to be player. Uh, it's going to favor the player. It's going to be another aggressive free agent market. Yeah, what what I keep... So let me actually... I'll quiz you first, and then I'll tell you what I'm hearing. Yep. Uh, who? And it can be anybody, but think back two years. Michael A. Taylor comes off the board like, uh, like 12 hours into free agency. <laughs> like It was something crazy sure who's if you could just circle a random guy who's off the board on monday and i'll give you a second to think about it um let me tell you who i think it's going to be and i have no reason to believe this i think isaiah kind of isaiah kiner falefa is just going to come off the board next week i don't know why he just seems like a guy that can play every position he does a little bit of everything well uh he's kind of got he's kind of that guy that i think I don't know. Someone's going to give him a two-year, nine million dollar deal. I don't know. It's kind of a fun exercise. Yeah, I get it. Um, if I were to guess or or make some sort of a wager, um, I would think because there aren't any top tier catchers, I would think the catcher market might might be an opportunity there. Like if you think Mitch Garver at thirty three can start ninety plus games for you in twenty twenty four, that might be a guy, and you have a, a, a legit need for like a number one catcher i would think a, a guy like mitch garver would make uh would make some sense i uh, had, a, had a really good year in uh in 2023 with uh with texas um one of the better years of his career but i would think a reliever that that would be my best guess would be uh would be a reliever and probably not somewhat probably somebody right in that kind of uh range like a robert stevenson yeah you know who Phil had a Maton. good year in tampa uh, you know, uh, you know, maybe, maybe somebody like, uh, uh, maybe somebody like, uh, uh, David Robertson, who's, who knows where he wants to play. Who's what? 39 years old, still pretty good. Uh, one of the top 20 relievers in baseball last year. Again, I imagine he could find a home pretty quickly because he's been around and he knows exactly where he wants to go. Um, one of the more interesting relievers to me this year, and it's more, mostly a projection, is uh uh Fujinami. I, I'm really interested to see where Shintaro ends up playing 
and what team says, hey, we think there's more here. Um, he was relatively ordinary, but I love that guy's delivery, and I think there's a lot more there uh, for somebody to go get. I know he's 30, but and he's bounced around already. He's played, you know, split last season uh, with uh, between Oakland and and Baltimore. But he's really, really interesting to me. And the the Japanese lefty, the reliever uh, uh, Yuki Matsui, is really interesting to me too. Yeah, More me of too. a late innings guy. Like like I could see, and I know the Japanese, you know, guys tend to take longer, but I could see him in particular because he's a reliever only signing relatively quickly with the club. All good answers. I will say I gave a utility guy. You gave relievers. This is the worst podcast episode. In the history <laughs> All right. So, so really in quickly in, in, in a minute, in a minute or less, yeah. pick a guy that's pick a guy that you think out of the top 20 to 25 ish okay. free agents signs first. Uh, give me Ken Samaeda. I think he's probably in that. You think he's a top? Well, first range. of all, you think he's a top 20, 25 free agent? Uh, no, but I think he's a top 20 pitcher. <laughs> okay. Already All right. Cheating. If we want to do, if we want to do, if we want to do everyone, how about, um, how about Brandon Crawford? Is he, is he kind of in that, is he kind of in that zone? I'm still not even close to the top 20. Am I interesting? <laughs> no, no. Uh, let me try I mean, one more time. Let me so. try one more time. I mean, th- I would think between, right. hey, I'll go, with, I would think- I'll go with Harrison Bader. Okay. Um, just because, just because it's hilarious. I think, just because no, it's I hilarious, think, I will tell you right now. I have him ranked forty third. That's fine. That's I, fine. You can. You can. I'm not saying I'm right and you're like, wrong. I'm just saying I just think it's funny. I just that. don't see any of these dudes signing very fast. They never do. But I think for a mm-hmm. guy that plays like a double plus brand of center field defense, you know, a team like Toronto is going to be like, oh, we lost Kiermaier. We got to go get a you know seven sure. glove in center or something like that. So. Kiermaier is another good guess, although that's not a top 25 free agent, but that's another good. He's still at 34 years old, really, really good in center field. Um, so yeah. he and Harrison Bader, very, very similar you got? in that way. Um, think Javi Baez is going to opt out. <laughs> I could go. <laughs> best joke of the day. I could go. I could cop out and say Clayton Kershaw because I think he's going to make a decision and re-sign with the Dodgers. But uh, I'm going to say Candelario. I think he's right there in, the, in that 20 to 25 range. Uh, had a three-win season this past year, uh, passable at third base and short since, so he's mostly a first baseman. I think somebody's going to see the the value of him in uh, in like a three-quarter type role. Uh, you get a left-handed bat in your lineup. Uh, I'm going to say somebody like Candelario. That, that'd okay. be my best guess. Um, one of the things I don't think is going to happen early is a qualifying offer player signed. I don't think a guy that's an obvious QO tender like – like Blake Snell or uh, or somebody like that. I don't think that or or Aaron Nola. That guy's not signing first. I think teams, uh, it, it, especially when you consider who's going to be after you know those uh, those players. I think teams, as we move forward, you know this as well as anybody, Joe, are trying to consider a little bit more, a little bit more, not necessarily prioritize it, but consider it more, protecting their draft protecting their farm system, oh, yeah. protecting their future. And I think they think twice a little bit about jumping all over that. Maybe I can get this same player, maybe literally the same player, <laughs> but, but maybe I can get this same player without actually giving up that con that, uh, that compensation. You know, yeah, you like, do I need this guy? For the do angels. I need this the guy this winter? <laughs> right. Do I need this guy this winter? Or can I trade for him? Is he going to sign a two year deal? And then I can just trade for him. 
or is he a guy who I have to get now for eight and 200? Like, I think that's the thing. Yeah. I think I think there's going to be several qualifying offers extended, mm-hmm. and I think the Angels will sign all of them. <laughs> <laughs> and then in their draft, with their four remaining yeah. draft picks, they yeah. will select all second basemen. With They're the 411th around. pick of the draft, the Angels' first, first pick of the draft. First <laughs> exactly. They pick a fifth-year senior out of the University of New Mexico Valley State. Oh, oh boy, those are in good oh, shape. Yeah. So, really quick before we go, uh, Yashinobu Yamamoto. There's a lot of talk <laughs> about him getting as ma- as much as two hundred million dollars this winter. Um, I get it. He's 25. So, if you're wondering why some of the projections on him are 200 million, while Aaron Nola is getting 140 or whatever that turns into, it's because there's a five year difference in age there. Uh, Yamamoto is really, really interesting. Uh, undersized right-hander with big time stuff. Um, yeah, that I think that aside from aggressive market, the Japanese players being valued really, really highly. Um, uh, and we'll, we'll throw, uh, Jung-Hoo Lee in here too. Like, I think he's more of the ilk of a, of a younger, uh, Kevin Kiermeyer or Harrison Bader, even though he doesn't have the plus defense and might end up having to play left field, he's more he's more along those lines. But him being 25 is a big deal, and that's why I, I have him ranked as a top 20 free agent. Um, those players don't come with that draft pick compensation, too, obviously. So right. if you're out there and you need a frontline starter and you think Yamamoto is a frontline starter – you're probably going to be more willing to give him 200 than Aaron Nola 150, right? Like you got to be convinced he's that kind of guy, but at 25 years old, he's he's not even done getting better. I think Aaron Nola is what he is at this point. So uh, aggression is, is what I keep hearing on the free agent market. I keep saying this about some of the other clubs in the game too. Like I think, I think, you know, as I sit here in, in Seattle, I think it's a mistake every day that passes that the Mariners don't, do something to add to the mix because they there's impact that they need to add there in multiple players. So every time a day passes and something doesn't happen, it feels like a mistake to me. That does not necessarily just free agency, but trade as well. They have so much to do that if they don't start early, like they're going to run out of options. Like it's the whole musical chairs thing. Um, don't be left standing without a chair. I think the Giants. Um, if they're going to do the damage they want to do, they have to get started early. And I don't mean they need to make four deals on Monday, but I think it's going to be aggressive sooner than later. I don't think we're going to have to wait until Christmas for a lot of this stuff to happen. I think, uh, I think we're going to get a couple of big deals before Thanksgiving, even certainly before the winter meetings. Uh, I think we're going to get trades during the winter meetings. I think we're going to get trades before Christmas. I think it's going to be one of the most boring Januaries in the history of planet earth when it comes to baseball. Because I think just about everything else is going to be done. I think there are too many teams out there that have put themselves in a position to where they feel comfortable spending at least some money and making some trades. Um, mm-hmm. I think even a team like Detroit could be really aggressive, sign a player, uh, make a significant trade. And if you want to get done you know what's on your list, you can't sit around and wait until the winter meetings are over. Like You absolutely can't do that. So... Um, yeah, that's a good question. Casey just sent a send a message. When does Otani sign? You got a feel on that before we uh, log off here, Joe? It's like a, the, the parting shot today is 
Do you have a best guess on when Otani signs? I mean, conventional wisdom would tell you probably not until like right after Christmas or in January, but I think, and this narrative is played out. I think, I think Shohei probably knows the two or three teams that he's actually interested in. And he's known for a long time. And those conversations have probably been taking place behind closed doors between his agency and teams. Mm. I think we're probably going to get an Otani deal before Christmas. Yeah. And I still think there's three teams that are actually involved. So Dodgers and who else? I think the Giants would like to be involved. Yep. And I think Seattle is is mm. I just I think Seattle is set up to be involved quite nicely and with the history of the team, I think they're they're a player. Yeah. Interesting three teams. Those would be in some order, probably the three teams for me too right now. I think Texas is going to want to get involved here too, which is really interesting as well. But uh, but we'll see. I would say Otani signs before December 15th. You get the winter meetings out of the way. Yep. Like our, I think the 6th is the last day of the winter meetings, our favorite event, the Rule 5 draft on December 6th, by the way. Um, and I think the week after that is when it gets done. Uh, yeah, those 7 to 10 days after the winter meetings is when Otani gets done. Why yeah. are we talking more about Cody Bolton? That's the news i mean that's that's big first time. deal of the winter that's big i mean the mets picking up Penn murphy i mean Ooh. that that's like Jugger they're fixed not. they're fixed man they're Absolute fixed the mets Jugger. are fixed francisco Lindor's finally finally has the support he needs to yeah. win uh in flushing and let me let me add let me add this just before we go um the i think on the yamamoto train everything that i'm hearing you know all the national writers keep pushing out the same six to seven teams oh these gms were in to see him i think the orioles are going to be in on that i think the diamondbacks could be in on that i think the nationals could be in on that mm-hmm. um let me I tell you one team think- let me tell you one team that's planning to that that plans to get him and that's the houston astros the houston astros believe they're gonna uh, that get does that, that doesn't yeah. surprise me but the houston yeah. astros also don't have as much space to play with as some of the other teams seattle and st louis I think Seattle and St. Louis are going to be so heavy on Yamamoto that they're mm. going to be two of the real players to watch out for. $200 million big ticket right-hander. Uh, he's fun to watch, too, man. That's an athletic dude. I mean, that that's good stuff. I love watch. Generally, the Japanese pitchers are really fun to watch. Uh, Senga is, is fun to watch. Tanaka was fun to watch. Nomo was fun to watch. They just bring a different... Uh, uh, a different kind of... Uh, uh, the different deliveries, the pace... Uh, the stuff, the pitches are literally different. It's uh, it, it, I, I generally have a lot of fun watching those guys uh, pitch. So uh, interesting. Good stuff. Hey, uh, when we convene next week, I'm going to say one free agent is signed for at least $15 million AAV. That's my prediction. I'm not going to make you make a prediction, but that's my prediction. Between now and next weekend, we're going to have one player that that that's going to make at least 15 million dollars on aav he's going to sign and i don't mean accepting the qo i think we're actually going to have a free sign to talk about next week Am I crazy? michael walker yeah. <laughs> so he's gonna so so the 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 option is going to be gone and he's going to resign with the padres right it's going to be boring i think players I resigning with their teams are boring like for the rest of the baseball anyway because there's nothing new to think about it's like a walk back to the Padres, but it's different if like he signs with like the yankees You're like okay so what are the yankees trying to do here there's a conversation to have he goes back to san diego it's boring yeah, yeah boring. that is boring but that's what's gonna happen yeah 15 million dollars <laughs> is the key here though 15 million dollars a year aav that's the key all right 
All right. I like it. We'll forget that I said this and we won't talk about this. So I just feel like it's totally fine that I throw that out there. I can't be wrong because nobody's just, nobody's going to shove it in my face. And now some listeners going to be like, I listened. I'm the one of the three people that listened and you were wrong. Uh, good I'm stuff. Fun stuff. Now. I'm the gonna, hot stuff. now Casey's going to, and I know you would remember. Yeah. Jeez. Casey, Casey, Casey keeps receipts. <laughs> he does keep receipts. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, cool. That's all for us today. We're, we're done. We got to get out of here. Um, Otherwise, this will just be me trying to tell Casey as little as possible. <laughs> I don't want to do that. For Casey Bellin, for Joe Doyle, I'm Jason Churchill. This has been the FSS Plus Podcast. So just chill to the next episode.